Good. All right. December 20th, Ruth and Nick, lesson 1.4. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone listening, and welcome to lesson 1.4 of the Foot Nerd program. I'm Nick. I'm Ruth. You guys probably know this by now. I don't even know if we yeah. have to say that anymore. Why do we have to uh, say that, Nick? Yeah, I don't know. Just it's That's a structure. Um, like and it. in this lesson, we're going to share our understanding of meta learning. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for making a commitment to take responsibility for your health and being part of this community. Uh, today's objective is to sort of unpack the concept of meta learning uh, in hopes that it helps everyone listening unlock their highest learning potential. Uh, and if you have questions about the lesson or you want to contribute, feel free to reach out to us on Slack. And so, yeah, let's dig in. Um, so I think of, before we get into meta learning, let's talk about uh, learning a little bit. And, and I think a, an important first point to sort of unpack is this concept of learning to understand instead of learning to know. Uh, and, you know, to me, those didn't really mean different things until um, I got to a certain point where I was like, okay, there's clearly two different ways to learn something, right? There's a way to learn um, that is sort of dynamic where you're constantly updating uh, how you think of this thing. Um, and there's also different levels that you can learn things. So I'm going to start out with a little bit of my input, and then I'd love to hear your take, Ruth. So yep. to me, understanding is dynamic. Uh, and, and knowing is rigid, right? Like once you know something, that's it, you know, it, you don't have to move forward. Whereas understanding really requires you to constantly update your thinking about something based on new information coming in. So understanding to me is dynamic, whereas knowing is rigid. Um, knowing is often shallow because it usually lacks context, right? It's like, I know this thing, but you know, knowing something might be different depending on what context you're talking about it within. So knowing is typically more shallow, whereas understanding is deep right? Deep goes into the layers. Um, understanding allows you to apply specific knowledge within a variety of contexts, uh, whereas knowing is more siloed. Um, to me, knowing is easy and can be done through memorization, which doesn't really require that much brain energy, whereas understanding is difficult uh, and can only be done with, you know, a lot of exploration and synthesis, which is like super brain energy intensive. Um, knowing can often be theoretical, whereas understanding is usually experiential. And so, yeah, I think distinguishing between knowing and understanding and really making sure that we're doing everything we can in this program to facilitate people understanding concepts, understanding health, instead of just knowing health. Uh, I think to me, that's an important sort of um, separation between those two, those two terms. What are your thoughts? It's funny because I took a bunch of notes on this, but even as I'm listening to you speaking, like how you were talking about um, understanding is dynamic and knowing is rigid that when I was reading your notes and I, I hear you say that it brings me back to like my own education in college and then teaching in college. Like I the, the word no was thrown around so much. Like I, I just have these flashbacks of being like in a panic to try to study for finals and like flashcards. Right. And we would be like, yeah, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. And and then, and then like the same thing in teaching the student, I would, um, from the other end of the spectrum, I would just be like spewing information at a class, uh, like factoids at a class, like they were drinking through a fire hose and then they would in a panic try to, I know that I got that, I got that, I got that, but they never could like critically think their way out of a paper bag mm -hmm. if we were talking about bones, you know, or something. And I think that the, it's so true about what you say, how 
understanding requires something of ourselves, requires like more, which the body and the brain actually love to, I mean, we're, we're, we're novelty seeking organisms and we, and brains love to learn on a deep level, I would argue. And so it was just interesting because I had a bunch of notes and the only thing that came to me is like, how true, how true. Yeah. I think, I think conventional education, like uh, as I learned in university, uh, it's really, you're right. It's all based on knowing, like you're expected to know this to pass the test. Um, but there's never, you know, and just the, the, the way we test things is very one dimensional and con and lacking context, right? Like, do you know this bone, what bone is this bone connected to? But it's like, you know, it's, it's harder to test understanding. I think that's fundamentally why we don't really focus on it. Right. It's easier to test knowing or to expect knowing and, you know, to share an understanding of something means that you're not going to say the same things, right. To know something means you're both expected to have the same answer. Um, because there's this objectively true thing that you're expected to know. And yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a really important point to kind of sit with is like, are you learning this to know it? Or are you learning it to understand it? Because the way you learn those two things is very different. Uh, the way you use what you're learning um, becomes limited with knowing and widely applicable with understanding. Um, and this whole notion that our understanding of the world is constantly in need of change, right? The world around us is changing, we're changing. So our understanding of things must naturally change. And I think just taking a mindset that my understanding is going to change and grow as I get more data, as I have more conversations and hear other people's perspectives allows a much more flexible way of sort of viewing a topic um, rather than the memorization centric way of, of knowing something and checking that box off saying, yeah, I know that that's good. I don't need to go revisit that. I don't need to continue learning. And yeah, I think to those, those, those two points are really important to sort of delineate from each other. And no knowledge knowledge is like step one. And, and when we talk about understanding, it requires like an investment, a serious investment of time. So maybe like we were talking earlier before the call about like how much time it actually takes to have a deep understanding of something. And so you get that like first level facts, fact push, and then, Mm -hmm. and then, and then it's just trivial after that, if you don't take it somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I remember seeing this one diagram one time where it said knowing this is knowing, and it had a bunch of dots. So, you know, all these individual dots and understanding was the other diagram. And what it was, is, was those dots became connected. So knowing means like you can know individual facts and there's, there is value to knowing things, Mm -hmm. but I think the, the next layer of depth is to understand how these disparate things actually connect together and be able to have a cohesive explanation of how you think of those things right? As interacting within a system instead of just as isolated pieces of knowledge, which alone are very uh, useless apart from just regurgitating it uh, when the opportunity comes up. Whereas understanding is like, you know, and everyone connects those dots in different ways. And you can often learn from how someone else connected the dot. You might have the same set of dots. You have the same set of dots as me, but how we connect them can be vastly different based on our experience. And so, yeah, always making sure to learn to understand, not to know. I think that's a really uh, hopefully an important concept that we can get across to everyone listening to this. Um, let's talk about meta learning and even rewinding before that, you know, to, to learn, like, what does it mean to learn? And these are, these might seem kind of like abstract things to talk about, but I think it's important, you know, this whole program is about learning, about learning about health, about learning about ourselves. And so the, 
like learning itself is very important. That, and that's really what meta learning means, right? Like Facebook kind of messed up the word meta now. It's kind of like everyone's over it, but it, it is a good word. And what it really means is, you know, meta learning means learning how to learn, learning about learning, right? So it's like going one layer uh, above learning instead of just being in the act of learning, like actually learning, how do I learn best? And um, you kind of wrote down to learn is to gain knowledge or skill by studying, practicing, being taught or experiencing something. And that's a pretty well-rounded definition of learning because it doesn't just say to gain knowledge. It talks about all the different ways we can gain knowledge, right? Studying, being different than practicing, being different than being taught, um, being different than experiencing. And I think all of those need to go into sort of like a well-balanced way of learning. But um, what was your research like in defining the word learning or thinking about learning from like, uh, from this standpoint? Yeah, I guess like, I, I guess it, I keep coming back to this idea of trivia because my dad was super good at trivia, but, um, so I remembered thinking that he was a freaking, and this is with all due respect to all fathers who love trivia around the world, but the meaning of trivia is like, um, meaningless facts, mm. you know? True. And so yeah, I looked trivia. that up. And, and to go back to your idea about rediscovering the definitions that in, in working with these seed lessons, I find it so helpful just to go back and really look at each definition of what we're talking about, because I know I've um, talked about this a lot, but it's, I mean, it's just, it's just so important to revisit the definition because your, your experience changes. So learning um, I remember, I just always remembered thinking like, in order to be a genius, I need to be great at Jeopardy. Cause my, I mean, like my, my family is a family of walking encyclopedias and the, and, and they're learned people, but, but, ex, but, but the, to take it to the next steps, like knowledge to doing, and then to actually becoming is like is like what true deep learning really is, where it's like the knowledge becomes part of your cellular structures and a part of who you are. And I have to say about the foot nerd program, this is something we talk about in the foot nerd program that the foot nerds are always saying that they feel like they have never completely, like the program never ends because they're always learning in the most well-rounded sense. So that that, that knowledge that is experienced and integrated is, is, is like the next level, right? So it'll be what we talk about in understanding. So I think like trivial facts, it, they don't mean anything if you don't connect those dots like you were talking about. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, it makes for a less, um, you can't discreetly identify exactly what's expected like you can with knowing, because once again, everyone's understanding is and should be different and mm -hmm. should be changing over time. And I think the goal is to just find out, okay, what are the common threads in all of our shared understanding? And do those reflect objective truths? Are we fooling ourselves? How can we do experiments to verify that that understanding is actually a good reflection of reality? Mm -hmm. And if we're all doing these experiments and all being honest and forthcoming with what we're finding out, we're going to learn together so effectively where we, mm -hmm. we're almost like independent neurons to form a brain to each. We all have brains, which are composed mm -hmm. of many neurons, but we're all basically a neuron in this hive mind, like this Ooh, brain that's learning yes. together. Mm -hmm. And it allows for you know, that, that wasn't the case for me in school, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a um, broadcast. I'm the teacher. You must learn what I teach sort of way. Mm -hmm. And the information was so certain 
that there was no discussion as to whether or not that's actually the right information, the right understanding or the right model to think of things uh, about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if I could think of one course that I didn't get in all of my schooling in undergrad or my master's that I wish I would have gotten, it would be the first class. And we talked about this earlier today. The first class I wish I would have taken would be one that talks about meta-learning and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Meta learning being like, okay, you know, like everyone's coming, basically everyone goes to university. Uh, if we talk, instead of learning, we talk about swimming. Everyone shows up the first day of swimming school with their own way of swimming. Some people are unbelievably inefficient swimmers. Uh, some people are great swimmers, but no one's actually thought about improving how they swim. Right. And it's like, if, if university is just a bunch of time spent swimming, well, it probably makes sense to make sure everyone is swimming efficiently and mm-hmm. understands how to sort of view swimming as a skill that can be harnessed and improved so that you can go way longer in the swimming you do through school, right? And meta learning is like learning how to swim efficiently so that everyone can sort of be better at themselves, (laughs) save themselves and be better at this thing that we're going to do so that you're not spinning your tires. And so like meta learning, learning how to learn, learning how to understand, how do I learn best? How do I tune into the process of learning to see like, how do I learn most efficiently in -hmm. terms of my health, in terms of like, the medium of learning in terms of what I learn. So meta learning can get kind of abstract, but really what it means is to learning how to learn, exploring and observing the different ways of learning uh, and sort of optimizing my learning efficiency by understanding myself. That's really what it boils down to. Um, and so I think this whole notion that that's why we wanted to put this in block one is like, if we all learn how to learn, we can become better learners. Oh, Nikki. Mindset, which we can talk about now. Um, and if we all understand learning as a concept, we can all optimize our individual learning methods. And I think that's mm-hmm. really, really powerful. I was thinking about how um, my kids I babysit and myself included, you know, with Google, the idea of like well, you you put in that, you put in that thing that you want to know and then it comes to you. And then mm-hmm. you have you just have it there at your fingertips all the time. And how, um, you know, just about, uh, just how, how bad my personal brain has gotten since I use my phone all the time. And the idea that you're talking about like us being individual neurons in this hive mindset, it, I, it, to have a collection of people that are willing to do this, to participate in this is so great because it's the, it's the connecting of all the dots, the neurons that fire together, wire together. And I was yeah. just thinking about that idea on the most microscopic level in the brain, but then I got all like excited. And I was like, yeah, that's what we're doing. We, we are actually participating in this hive mindset. And I think it's just so important, especially now I bring up that Google because I just, I just picture so much about how we utilize that as a way of knowing. And my nieces are always fact checking, you know, and you're like, yeah, but you have absolutely no experience about mm. the thing. And how confident we are that we know it. So I just want, I was just, I was thinking about the the Google. Yeah. I've started to be a lot more curious when people say like, for example, what used to bug me was when people say something with supreme confidence that I know is truthfully false, that I know is false because I've, and, and I've, instead of just saying that's bullshit, like this is the truth. I'm just like, how do you know that? Where did you find that out? I want to figure out like how much effort and work did you do to understand what you just said or to know what you just said? Because if all you did was Google search it, lock that into your memory so that you can retrieve it whenever it's appropriate to win an argument, 
I don't think you actually understand it. I think you just kind of have a token there. Yeah. It's, it's trivia, trivia. And, and it's not that's even memorized, use. you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we, I think, I guess my point in coming back to Google is that we have even gotten, I would argue that we've gotten even worse at just the basics of memorizing hmm. because yeah. of our access to technology. That was my, that's what I think. Yeah. Use it or lose it, right? Like people, their yes. phones remember phone numbers. Um, addresses, email addresses, like it's all done for us. And so I think yes. we're actually by, by offloading our memory in yes. a huge way, I think we're actually decreasing our ability to hold things in memory. Um, and also like the salience of something, the importance of something is directly related to our ability to hold it in memory. So if you learn some abstract fact, that's not interrelated with anything else, it's its own silo and you don't actually integrate it or see it in your experience, it's not really that relevant. So you're not going to actually hold that in your memory because it's not important to remember. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to really put effort into understanding something from a systems perspective and every element that you know within that system has a place and is in this web, then it's a lot more relevant because it's all cohesive, right? It all makes sense and meshes together instead of just being like isolated points. And so... That's another, you know, and learning to understand takes a shitload of energy. It just yes. does. It's way easier to just know and memorize something than it is to truly understand it. So something has to be important enough for you to deem it worthwhile using your energy to do that. And so I think, you know, what other thing, understanding health is a superpower, both from a personal perspective and also from a giving value to society perspective, right? Like yes. what more important thing is there than health? It's our, it should be our most important job. So I think, you know, it seems like people that come to this community are number one, committed to doing work to understand, um, are willing to share and see health as important enough to warrant the attention going into understanding it. Cause it is a difficult thing to understand, but together we can do it. Let's talk about learning, um, as a skill, because I think when it comes to learning, I almost get a vibe from people, um, about whether they have a growth mindset or whether they have a sort of fixed mindset when it comes to learning the skill, right? Some people are just like, ah, oh, I can't read. It's like, a, okay, I think you can read. Do you like to read? Have you read things you like? Have you worked on getting better at being able to focus your attention in order to read? So I think viewing learning as a skill is like anyone can learn this skill. Anyone can practice this skill. The more time you spend practicing it, the better you get at the skill of learning. And so it's not something you're born with or without. We're all born with an innate ability to learn. It really just depends on how much time and how much meaning we attach to the activity of learning or the skill of learning that determines how much time we spend doing it and how much better we get at doing it. Um, what's your take on learning as a skill that can be sort of learned and, and improved? Oh my gosh. Learning along with the health being the superpower, I think maybe right alongside that understanding how to learn is a superpower. Hmm. And I keep, I keep coming back I think that's to a this. precursor to health because in order to yes. understand health, you need to learn effectively. So, so learning has to be the first superpower. Hmm. Maybe yeah. learning is learning. Nick, I think that it seems now it's so important to be able to, um, address the time that it takes to actually understand something deeply because and speaking from personal experience the more I work on the computer because I think I might even be one of those people that I, I my actual reading a book has decreased over the past five years because I spend so much time on the computer that when I pick up a book 
I, I feel agitated to read a few pages. And Joe Dispenza talks about how when we read a book, if you skip over words that you don't know without stopping to look them up, which I am guilty of, because I think I'm going to get it in the broader context, or I think I'm going to come back to it and look up those words I don't know later, then your brain, well, I mean, you can see where I'm going with this. Like your brain isn't going to be able to integrate the, the richness of that word that you don't know in the context of what you're reading. And I just keep, because the computer's so efficient, I just am not reading as much or taking notes as much. So it, I guess, I don't know. It just seems like a very, I feel an urgent desire to keep learning myself and go back to the drawing board and going back to the basics of what it means to adopt, like how you were saying, how do I learn the best? What, how does each indi per, in, individual person learn the best? I mean, it, it has all these ramifications about how we teach and then how we as students learn and how we don't just compile every, everyone into like one model of, un, of, um, of like teaching and learning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone learns differently and everyone has to discover how they learn best at their own, in their own way. Um, I just think that instead of thinking of it as like a gift to be good at learning, it's like view it as a skill, yes. a skill. And then a, so a skill can be acquired by anyone doing learning as a practice means that, okay, in order to get good at a skill, you need to practice it. Right. And it has to be a, a something you hold deeply so that there's a motivation to do it on a regular basis, right? A consistent practice is required yes. to gain a high amount of skill. Um, and then sort of the last one is like learning as a mindset, right? Having this mindset of curiosity mm -hmm. means that you have a desire to learn things you don't currently know, uh, that you have a desire to learn how you learn best. And that I think the whole point of this lesson is really to, to hit home the fact that instead of just learning, if you learn how to learn, if you learn about the concept of learning and how our biology is designed to learn and how our personal uh, life is, it, how our personal life is oriented so that we can maximize the learning sessions that we do do. Because we can't just mm -hmm. spend all of our day. I mean, life is a learning experience. Health is a learning. But at the end of the day, if we get good at understanding learning as a concept, then we can increase our efficiency so that we can learn more and learn deeper in a shorter period of time. And I think that's, it's ex in that case, it's exponential, right? This whole notion that if we're all at different levels of skill in terms of swimming, some people in the same period of time are going to swim further than others. But if we all just get the basics of how to swim efficiently, we can all go way further in the same period of time. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, viewing learning as a skill and as a practice and as a mindset, maybe even a good exercise for people listening to this is like, you know, what does learning mean to you? When, when someone says, what is learning? Like, how would you mm -hmm. answer that? And I think those exercises, I mean, we've just talked about it a bunch, but maybe we should have said that at the start. Um, <laughs> oh, we didn't say to, to pause this and write it in your log. That's okay. Well, but we, you, you can do it now, better late than never. Do it. Yep. Um, and I think a mindset, you know, you defined mindset in our notes as a mental attitude or inclination. And I think this whole, you know, Carol Dweck has a really good book called Mindset that talks about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, fixed mm -hmm. mindset being someone that just says, you know, I'm not good at reading. That's how it is. I just can't read. So I'm not even going to try. Whereas a growth mindset is that might not be good at this now, but if I work at it, I'm confident that I can gain that ability. I might gain it uh, at a slower pace than other people based on mm -hmm. predispositions. But at the end of the day, 
if something matters enough and you commit to a practice, you will be very good at it. Very good. Yeah. Even if you start at like level zero, it's literally just time and effort and energy that you put into something um, will get you to a very impressive place. And I think everyone working to increase their learning efficiency, you know, and in today's world, like today's world is changing so drastically, so frequently that I think, so <laughs> I think the ultimate tool uh, is number one health, but number two is the ability to learn because if, okay, if you learn this thing, and then in five years, we have a different world where understanding that thing is now no longer that important in today's world because the world has changed. The most important skill to have is the ability to learn a relevant skill for the world of tomorrow, for the world of today and the world of tomorrow. And so like we have to reinvent ourselves and that really requires us to learn and adapt yeah. and change. So learning is like this perpetual superpower that can be applied regardless of context and situation so that you can always adapt to whatever world you find yourself in. Oh my gosh. Preach, Nick. Preach. <laughs> I'm serious though, because it, I mean, I'm, it's just so true. And it seems to me that, that it comes, comes back to time too, where I'm, I'm in my fifties and, and I've been resistant as somebody in my generation to adapting to what's coming like very quickly. You know, even with the beginning, even with the onset of, of coming to the foot nerd program and working with technology and then, and I can speak personally from like how quickly we can learn if it's meaningful to us, you know, if you have something like that, you, um, you know, you wrote in there about something that you authentically want to learn. So you assign meaning, it's already there for you. And then um, spending just a little bit of time, I think we don't necessarily, um, recognize how a tiny, like tiny little bits built on each other over a long period of time make for a tremendous amount of progress towards something that you want to learn. And you can, I, th I think it's a, a, the naive learner in all of us um, tries to get to the end point too quickly. You know, like we don't sink into, because also learning is like sensorially delicious when you allow yourself the time to in, in the time to invest in doing it, you know, and learning about, you know, you said how, what, what is learning and how do I learn? You know, we talked about auditorily or visually. I mean, I would think that we, some semblance of all of those, like just giving yourself the luxury of a, a little more time than you think you need to acquire the understanding rather than just knowing it for the test or the thing. Yep. I agree. And let's talk about expanding learning capacity. And I think the best yeah. metaphor to make to this is like cardio capacity. So if you're, um, you know, cardio being like the ability of your heart to deliver blood and oxygen to your muscles. So when you first start, say you want to improve your cardio capacity, you might start and only have like 20 minutes and then you're gassed. Right. Um, but the more frequently you challenge your cardio limit, the more your capacity for delivering more blood and oxygen to your muscles grows. And, but the only way that that capacity expands and gets bigger is if you constantly like are consistently challenging the limit of your capacity. And so to me, I define learning capacity as sort of the amount of information that can be consumed and integrated within a specific period of time. And so, you know, everyone can define that period of time as they want, but I think the point I'm trying to get across is that by constantly challenging the limit of your learning capacity, like how much information can I consume, apply and integrate into memory? Um, 
in a certain period of time, like in maybe that period of time is like a day or a week or one single learning session. But I think really being honest with ourselves and self-aware of like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe people realize like, I'm going to read a book and I'm going to take in this information. And after 10 minutes of reading, I'm like, I'm still reading words, but I don't know what I'm reading anymore. You know, either that wasn't interesting enough to captivate your attention. You weren't able to focus for long enough, or your learning capacity isn't high enough such that you can take that information in quite yet and really apply it and integrate it. Um, and this sort of brings us to another element, which is important for learning capacity, which is our ability to focus, right? Our ability to concentrate our effort and attention on a single topic or activity. And I don't think people realize how much we multitask, right? Yes. Like we use that, people love using that word. And I don't think that people realize how, how frequently we multitask without realizing it. Yes. And this, this sort of idea that single tasking is an art that we must practice and cultivate because we've essentially made our default mode, multitasking, doing multiple things at once, reading something, thinking something else, doing something else. And so I think we, you know, I think we need to harness our focus. I think it's so, you know, in the age of distraction where there's never a shortage of things to distract us, we are essentially training ourselves to be, uh, distracted. Yeah. And so if you're, if you've trained to be distracted for years, you're going to be really good at being distracted and you're gonna find it really hard to focus. Um, yeah. And focus can be trained just like any other skill. And what do you think the consequences of being distracted is? I think it's just a, the dilution of life. our energy, right? Yeah. It just dilutes our, you know, it's like a laser beam, right? Like a light beam when focused into like a narrow aperture can go like a kilometer. Mm -hmm. A light beam that's dispersed, so that it's not concentrated, but it's diluted. Like, you know, concentrated would be like single tasking. Diluted will be multitasking doesn't actually generate that much light. Right. Yeah. So I think it's just, we don't really do anything deeply anymore. It's more just superficial utility based things. Like I have to get this done for the sake of doing it, but not because I like truly want to deeply engage with it or really understand things at a different level. Um, so yeah, I think, and you know, focus, like the difficulty of of the meditation project that kind of came about from feedback with nerds, I think is a reflection of our sort of separation from being able to focus, like just being yeah. able to be with ourselves with our own thoughts uh, is so uncomfortable because we're just so used to being distracted that not being distracted is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say the opposite because I think I'm working on not being distracted and multi, I'm not a multitasker by nature, but I've, I'm being trained to multitask without realizing it. And I, I think the consequence of being distracted and not single focused on a task or a person is that I feel a, a, a sense of agitation, you know, like you can feel a lack of coherence, like in your body, you can't like focus on what a person's saying. And then the person knows that you're not really focused on what they're saying because you're kind of reaching for your phone because you have to check your messages. I mean, there is like, I, I think if we really honestly tune in, there is a sense of like bodily, I guess my point about um, is that understanding comprehension and this type of learning how to learn ultimately results in like having a richer human experience, Nick, because I mean, yeah, it's fun to learn about things and things that are meaningful to you, but like ultimately you get layers and layers upon like a richness in, in life by deeply understanding whatever it is that is interesting to you to learn. And so, and then if we're constantly being distracted from, I mean, even just in a learning bout, you know, we've talked about in the footnote program, how you have to schedule deep learning time. I mean, 
I don't remember a time in history where it was so hard to set aside time on, away from the world and our all of our distractions in order to like give ourselves over to learning and comprehending and understand deep learning something, whether it's physical or intellectual or artistic, you know? Yeah. And it ties into money too, because if our time is constantly being stolen by way of our money being worth less and less over time, then instead of being abundant, time becomes scarce. And so allocating your time is much harder when there's a scarcity of time, mm-hmm. which is constantly being imposed on us. It's in reality, mm-hmm. time is abundant, um, right? We have a constraint of 24 hours a day. We all have that constraint, but many mm-hmm. people do different. We all have varying levels of productivity with how we use that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really just boils down to focus once again, right? If we're trying to do so many things, we can't do any individual thing well. Um, and oftentimes focus means saying no, or not doing things that you actually might want to do, but are less important in terms of your priorities, right? Even the word priorities, like I say priorities all the time, by definition, priority means one. So saying priorities doesn't even make sense, right? It's like, (laughs) it's it's kind of weird. What are your Um, priorities? (laughs) And I think like, for me, I did, I kind of find it a couple of years ago that my focus unit, which I deem as like the period of time that I can maintain full focus on something is, you know, on a single thing, my reading unit is 20 minutes. So I read in 20 minute chunks and I read a bunch of different books at the same time, but I only read them for 20 minutes. And then I take a little break so that I can actually think of what I just read. Whereas before I would just read And I would usually only absorb like 10% of what I read. Now I absorb like probably closer to like, I don't know, maybe 75% because I read for a shorter period of time, take in less information, but I spend more energy figuring out where does that information actually go? Does that make sense? Does that align with my, the current way that I'm thinking? Is there anything that that, um, screwed up in my current mental models and how do I, how do I reconcile that? You know? So I think knowing your focus unit, how long can you focus on one thing without your mind wandering? I think part of that is almost determined by like, how long can you meditate for without you, without driving yourself crazy? Um, for me, the training wheels for training my focus, and maybe that's a good place to go next. Like, how do we train our focus? Cause focus is trainable. Um, and for me standing on a beam on one leg for like a couple minutes on each side was the training wheels that allowed me to focus long enough to be able to meditate. And so we, we, we just have to be honest with ourselves. Cause I think we, I think it's really easy to think like we have a bias to think, well, oh yeah, I can focus on something, but then we have to be really honest with ourselves about whether or not that's true based on how easily we're get, we get distracted, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, and, and it's not even necessarily, if you're reading something, it's not even necessarily like how long does it take until you reach for your phone? It's how long until your brain thinks about reaching for your phone. And you really have to tune in. It's like kind of trippy, but as time goes on and you, if you want to specifically train your focus, your ability to focus on one thing for a a longer period of time expands. Like that's part of that learning capacity, right? So training our focus, understanding, learning, um, these are all things that allow us to become more effective with our time, uh, and more efficient with our learning. Right. So that, okay. If, if my life is such that I only have an hour a day that I can learn for, well, if I learn how to learn well, if I understand how to train and hone in my ability to focus, I might be able to get 300% more stuff done in that one hour than if I was just doing it inefficiently. Mm -hmm. And I think back to that university thing, it's like, if we all learned how to focus the importance of focus, what focus means and, and understood learning as a concept, we would probably make much better use of the time we had in university versus just 
being shitty at swimming and then swimming for four years. It's like, get a little bit better at swimming and you'll do way more swimming in those four years. And it'll probably be a lot less frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that kind of went on a tangent, but no, that okay. I would, that, that beam is the beam is a great, um, tool or a signifier for attention too. Uh, I, you, I, I noticed exactly that, like how, when I get on the beam, if I haven't gotten on the beam for a while, or if I'm in a mode where I'm not, I, I haven't created focus and time and attention towards deep learning or training my focus, I'll get on that beam. And it, it's amazing how your brain ignores how distracted you are. Like I have the beam in the kitchen so that I get on it, but I put the water on for the coffee. I get on the beam and then like 30 seconds later, I get off the beam and take some notes on something I have to do for the day, not even recognizing that I had committed to 10 minutes on the beam while I'm making my coffee. And I won't even have recognized that until the end of the day where I've, I've written down that I wanted to spend 10 minutes on the beam today. And I maybe sped, I got on the beam and then I tricked myself thinking like, yeah, I focused <laughs> for like five seconds on that one. So yeah, definitely um, we need it. We need our crew to help us. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, I like the beam cause there's an instant feedback loop, right? The minute yep. I lose my balance is often the minute I lose my focus, right? I get That's distracted. So true. Yep. Um, and I had a conversation with someone the other day that, you know, I'm trying to help them hone in on their focus and acknowledge their insane tendency to be distracted. Like even in a conversation, I can't even hold a conversation with this person because they're just so used to doing like a million things. Yeah. And I was like, you know, why don't you spend more time on a beam? I've given them one and they're like, well, it's boring. So then we had the conversation mm -hmm. about boredom. It's like, what does boredom mean? Boredom mm -hmm. is the inability to find relevant information to tune into. And it's not because like a shitload of information is being told to you when you're on a beam, right? From your hip, from your foot, from all of the different joints in your body. So the question is not whether there's no information or there is, it's, are you tuning into the information that's coming in? Or are you always used to needing incredibly novel stimuli that you're not even, that you're numb to the subtle stimulus oh, that your body's telling yes. you? So anyway, it was a good conversation because at the end they're like, yes. Shit, yeah, I need, yeah. and it's really just like the inability to pay attention to information coming in because our threshold for what's salient is so high yeah. because of these hyper normal stimuli, right? Like yes. whether that's like Instagram or food, you know, food. these are hyper stimuli that are yes. so much more vivid than what is actually natural that we've accustomed to, to basically thinking if it's not crazy, it's not relevant. And True. it's like, there's a lot of really good subtle input that we get from our bodies that I think we've gotten used to ignoring. So I think Boredom is sort of this cop out that really just means you're not paying attention. Yeah. You're not tuning into the mundane, which is where the beauty is. And it's, I, I often will watch TV just for the commercials. So I could see like what's being pushed is like, like what are, where we are in our hyper um, stimulating life, you know, like the food commercials are crazy. Like the stuff that's put in between two buns and that we can't get, you know, like we, yeah. So that's a, that's a rabbit hole, but wow. Yeah. That is so true, Nick. Yeah. And you know, deep learning is sort of that, the, the word that I used to describe that undistracted, intentional, deeply focused learning. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, usually I do it in a space that is I've purposely optimized because I know it's the space I learn well in, right. There's like no clutter. It's very boring. There's nothing to distract me. My phone is not near me. Not even like, Phones are creepy. 
They're so creepy because even if my phone is not in my visual field, if it's behind me, because I've tried this before, it's like, I'm just going to take it out of my visual field. I feel it. It's like a little wizard. It's like, touch me. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's super weird. So I just make it so that it's, there's no, <laughs> there's no temptation. Um, and, and I think there's also something to be said about creating rituals around learning, like turn learning into a ritual yeah. where you do things to sort of get yourself into this like you basically like pump yourself up to get into this focused mode like you know like sometimes i i have a bunch of weird rituals one of them is when i used to work in our main tse office there would all, i could hear conversations i could hear noises so i bought these shooting earmuffs that i would put on in order to focus so i couldn't hear anything they were completely soundproof What's funny is that sometimes where I am now is much quieter. There's no one else in this space. I put those on anyway, because I was used to putting them on to trigger learning. It's almost like my oh. brain learned that things over my ears meant focus time. So everyone has to build their own rituals. <laughs> like I remember uh, one of them was like, like I wrote something on the wall. It said like, I'm trying to remember what I wrote. It said, acknowledge when you're distracted and don't fool, fool yourself into thinking you're not. So I would read that a couple of times before I learned. So regardless of what it is, make your experiment. I just do a bunch of experiment and the rituals that stuck were the ones that I found meaning in that I found helped me. Mm -hmm. But I think this whole notion of deep learning is putting your undivided, fully focused attention in a distraction-free environment to purposely learn something right? It can be whatever amount of time you want based on what your current capacity is, right? I know for me, a learning session, if it goes beyond 90 minutes, I, it, I can't do anymore. Like it just, I can't push anything else in there. If it's really intense, like reading a book and trying to take in information, it's 20 minutes. So everyone has to determine their own sort of capacity and how long mm -hmm. they can go without sort of starting to lose focus. But I think there's definitely something to be said about creating rituals, whether that's a specific space or a specific group of things you do leading up to a period of learning, uh, I think there's something there because I found that yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, we, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, I don't know where, if it's coming or if we were going to talk about it, but you, you, you mentioned something, um, about explaining something that you're learning. Well, when, when we talk about deep focused learning, once you have your learning bout, then committing like what comes next in the way of like understanding and integrating you were talking about explaining something to someone in a lot of different ways mm. or or um so it seems like i i've i've pulled from a lot of teachers about learning and they they all have a similar thread it's like think which is associated with knowledge then you have an experiment where you do something with like your hands in your body or and then that integrates into um um, like being becoming the thing that you're learning and then there's like initiate um, or philosopher master initiate um, and then there was another one that's like learning with the head the hands and then we know the thing by heart where like I think when we talk about memorize we mistake we mistakenly think like oh I know that by heart but it's like not until you integrate it into the body it's like then you know it by heart. And then mm. it seems like you had some really um, interesting ideas about like how we explain the thing that we need to like tell other people about what it is that we're learning because then you kind of test your understanding of it, right? Yeah, I think there's massive value in essentially putting in a rep. I always talk about reps. Like we yes, think of repetitions reps. as in like reps with a dumbbell or at the gym, but like a rep 
to me is a repetition of explaining something I haven't explained before or a concept, a way of articulating a concept in a simple way that I haven't tried before. A lot of times I just do it by myself on a walk. I put, put headphones on. So people oh, think I'm talking to someone. I just explain shit to myself. And it's like, I wonder, you know, I wonder how that sounds. And then it's like, when it passes through that, I'm going to try and explain it to someone else. That's why those check-ins that I used to do for the, um, for TFC were very, they were a valuable learning exercise for myself, regardless of if anyone listened to them or not, or watched them or got value from them. It was, it forced me to sort of synthesize and condense a broad topic into a simple explanation. And it made me make sense of it. And so that was like a rep at explaining a concept. Um, and I think the whole idea of, you know, I think learning partners can be, can be great for this, where you learn about a concept and you say, okay, let's, let's get a rep in. Let's each explain to each other the concept of learning in 10 minutes and see how we do. And I think that that is, you get so much um, really like integration done by having to teach it to someone else. Like you want to learn something real well, teach it, right? Teach yeah. it to yourself first, teach it to someone else uh, that will give you feedback. And I think that's really powerful. But I think this, yeah. I think one of the things we miss out is we think that we can just learn on the fly or like mm -hmm. squeeze in learning. Whereas in my life, based on my experience, it's been, I need to intentionally set aside and schedule time to learn something. If I'm going in with the intention that I'm doing, I'm literally taking this time to do this thing. I'm doing nothing else. And I'm protecting viciously the boundary of my time so that no one is expecting to reach me. I don't feel like I need to be available to anyone else. And, you know, I'm lucky because my life has been sort of created in such a way that I have a lot of control over my time. Right. But it's not, you know, you have to intentionally do that and make sacrifices and trade-offs to not have other things in order to have this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think if we're all become really good at understanding learning and practice the art of learning with not just the intention of, un of learning something, but actually taking like a third person objective view of like, how, you know, how is this environment for my learning? How is this environment I'm learning in? Is it conducive to my learning? Am I Where's, where am I starting to lose focus? Okay. Take a note about that so that I can, can, can kind of go back to that later on and see, you know, before I could only focus for half an hour, but now I can focus for 45 minutes. So I'm making progress. And I think yeah. seeing yourself make progress is actually a really big part of motivation because it basically yes. is like, uh, it's a feedback loop. Very yep. important. The proof of work. Yeah. The proof of work log addition to this year's program, I think is incredibly valuable i've actually gotten one myself and started to use it and even in like nice. the first few days it's been so great and around like um explaining it to self or another <clears throat> i think you recommended this but i've actually been recording myself explaining if i don't have another person who's willing to listen to this stuff <laughs> but um but i think until you actually try to explain it to yourself or another person the one thing i notice is that the little things that you just gloss over that you think, oh yeah, I got that are the things that are the important connectors that seem simple that we just gloss over until we try to explain it or teach it. And then you're like, wow, I really don't have a, an understanding of that. And then one last thing I'll say about um, explaining to others is that when I was teaching anatomy in the traditional environment, I couldn't take it anymore that it was the sender receiver model. I could just see that the passive learner was just, it was just didn't seem right to do it that way. So in the labs, I don't know people who've taken anatomy know that when you take your anatomy lab, you go into the lab, it's been done this way since the beginning, probably since 
the beginning of time where you go into the lab and there's models set up with labels on them and you have to recognize what that is and write it down. And I just remember thinking it was just such a bad way to understand. It was like the most disintegrated way to understand what we were doing that I changed my whole lab structure. And the lab test was in their groups on test day, um, they had to come up to a table in the front and explain to each other, like show on a skeleton, explain like the joints and the bones and name them and essentially take each other through a teaching lesson while myself and the assistant watch them. And we had a rubric on how, you know, did they use a certain amount of an anatomical language, but the students freaked the F out when they had to do that. And I got really bad reviews on um, rateyourprofessor.com, but I got some reviews that were like this. I really actually learned and deeply understand like how the skeleton is put together, for example, because I had to explain it to my lab partners. Yeah, some people get upset when they're challenged because it's easier <laughs> to blame Ruth, the teacher, than it is to blame myself for not putting in the work. Yeah. Um, I think this, this is very common and it's like, yeah. I get it. I've probably done it many times in my life, but um, you're right. I think this whole notion of participatory learning, if we internalize that individually yes, um, and know that like I need to participate in my own learning process, not just assume I'm a good learner and the learning rate I have right now is what I'm, what I've got for the rest of my life. It's like, if we start by before we learn a thing, why don't we learn about learning? That's the, you know, and it's, it's very, it can be a very abstract thing to bring up sometimes because they're like, what, what do you mean? Learn about learning. It's like, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not that complex. Like learning is a skill. If we learn how to get better at the skill, we're then able to apply that skill more effectively and efficiently when we apply the skill to learning other things. Um, and it's very, I think it's, it's so it's very important to know how you learn best. Um, and that, that applies in many ways. Like what space do you learn best in? What time of day do you learn best? And to, in order to find out these things, you have to, you know, we talked in one of the previous lessons about exploration versus exploitation, right? Exploration being experiment and try vastly different things. And then based on the data set you've collected, you can then determine what is the most relevant and important thing that I collected. And then you can exploit that by applying it. Right? So, as a concrete example, like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what time of day I learn best. So I might uh, try it where one day for a week, I learn first thing in the morning, then I do it at lunch break, and then I do it before bed. And if I've taken notes each time of like, how well did I understand this? How focused was I? You can clearly see, usually if you take good notes, wow, I learn way better in the morning. My mind is way fresher. I'm less distracted. I'm more, it's easier to focus. Um, and so you have to experiment with like environments, with the medium you learn from, do you learn better by reading or doing or pod or listening to podcasts like auditory? Um, you know, like I think a really big one that people underestimate is like, learn shit you want to learn, right? Yeah. Like the, the biggest indicator, if you're constantly getting distracted, learning about something is that you don't actually want to learn about that thing. Yeah. And so it's uncomfortable when you're trying to force yourself to learn about something you don't want to learn about. Therefore it's really easy to be distracted. And so it's almost like, you know, hopefully with the Footner program, we provide a framework for important things, you know, embedded in health to learn about, but the depth that you learn these things is totally optional, right? With the layers, right? Like layer one, the lesson, the auditory lesson is the only mandatory thing. You can then choose the things you really want to learn deeply about and understand to at a whole different level because they're relevant to you or they're important to you. Go really deep. 
but the option is there such that people can choose what they really want to learn about. Cause that's, what's really going to enhance their learning process. So learn things you actually authentically want to learn about and what you're curious about will probably change over time. That's good. But you know, it's like learning something you don't want to learn is like, uh, forcing a fart. It's usually shit. So torture. Yeah, exactly. Bad, 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 no bueno. Um, design a learning environment. We already kind of talked about that. So, you know, for me, it's a minimal space with reduced clutter. I defend myself from distractions, no phone, no external triggers. I tell people often if I'm in the same space as them and say, Hey, for the next half hour, I'm, I'm going deep, putting my earmuffs on, I'm not going to be available. And then there's no, there's no concern that someone's saying something and I can't hear them because I've already let them know, right? Let people know that you're allocating that time to distraction-free learning, um, scheduling time to learn. So literally put it in your, what gets scheduled gets done. And in my experience, like if I actually schedule my learning, um, then the learning gets done. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, yep. you know, if you scheduled, 30 minutes to just go down the freaking wild wonky ride of Instagram. Uh, and you did that, then it's like you did what you intended to do. And that's better than just getting pulled into Instagram for an hour. Right. So recognize that like, you don't have to not go on, not do things that, you know, aren't productive, but just like schedule them with their appropriate amount of time based on your values. Um, so that you can kind of check yourself. So scheduling learning time, creating prompts, right? Like, Oftentimes we have the best intentions, but if there's no, we can schedule it. But if we don't look at our calendar, if nothing reminds us to do something, it usually doesn't get done. So whether that's like, you know, for me, I'll often put things right in the path that I have to follow. So the next day it's like, I got to almost trip over it. And that's my prompt or a phone alert. Um, and then tracking it. Like, did I, okay. I wanted to learn for an hour at this time today Did I actually do that. And if I didn't, what stopped me from doing that so that I can recalibrate for future and, and sort of like troubleshoot and make sure that's not an obstacle in future. So um, yeah. Anything about, uh, learning environment and scheduling learning time. Um, I would just say like in the beginning, if you, if this isn't something that you're accustomed to maybe schedule more learning time than you think you need until you really understand, yep. until you really come to terms with like how much, like, if you think you can learn, I mean, for me personally, I always needed double the time to get, like, if I wanted to truly get two hours of good deep learning and I had to schedule four hours of time, Mm. you know, or if you're going for 90 minutes, I had to, until I could really hone in on my, my skill set to learn. Yeah. And maybe, you know, a counter to that would be instead of scheduling four hours, like determine what your sweet spot is in terms of uh, your focus period. And then don't force it beyond that. If all you can do is focus for 30 minutes, maybe just do 30 minutes and then go take a walk and then come back and try another 30 minutes. Um, cause it, you know, being efficient with your time, I think is important and not, you know, it's a classic thing in university. Everyone does is, you know, I used to, a friend of mine used to be a crammer. So he would stay up the night before and literally problem is like he would spend eight hours with his face in a book and like 30 minutes was productive. I would exactly. spend like one hour, but like maybe 45 minutes was productive. So, you know, I prioritized going to bed instead of staying up all night. Cause I was like, I'm not going to learn shit tonight anyway, cause I'm going to be tired. Um, so just prioritize like effectiveness in your learning time instead of just time. So it's like, what yep. were the results from this learning block? Not just how much time did I spend doing this? Cause if most of the time was wasted, there's not really much results to speak of. Maybe yep. that time could have been spent better on something else. The last thing I want to talk about, because I think it's a really important one to put in here is this, um, 
the relationship between learning and sleep. And this idea that the brain rewires itself when we sleep, not when we're awake. So my favorite metaphor that I heard Matthew Walker say was that um, when you're actually learning something, you have like two modes of storage in your brain. You have your USB jump drive, which gets filled and emptied each day. And then you have your uh, hard drive, which is like long-term storage. So each day you learn something, you're essentially filling that USB jump drive. When you sleep, what's happening is this, your, your brain is taking the information from the USB jump drive and putting it into long-term storage, the most relevant stuff. So if you don't have deep, high-quality nourishing sleep, none of that transfer happens, right? So you don't actually bring things into long-term memory and that has two negatives. Number one, you don't actually learn it. But number two, that jump drive is full for the next day because it hasn't been emptied. And so you can't cram more information into it. And so I really think that like this prioritization of high quality, deep sleep, restful sleep and deep rest too. I watched something from Andrew Huberman the other day that he was mentioning like deep rest where you're just like lying down like yoga nidra or something like that mm -hmm. is on par with um, like sleep in terms of its ability to process and, and rewire the brain. So I think it's important that we make sure you can prioritize all learning you want. If you're not getting good sleep, none of that learning is actually going to be converted into useful understanding because you're not actually allowing the mechanism of jump drive to, to deep storage, hard drive to actually happen. And so you're kind of working against yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's an important. Well one. said, Nikki pop. Well said. So sleep, sleep, sleep. So I, re I remember when I was in, when I was studying, like for those long periods of time where I thought I was supposed to be cramming, it would be so physically torturous to be like up at one in the morning. I was lucky that my body was just like, it's terrible. I'm not doing it. I don't care if I fail. And I would just go to bed, you know, hated that feeling. Yeah. yeah. And when you're underslept, you're more easily distracted. Yep. Uh, you typically eat shittier foods. You don't Always. learn anything. <laughs> Like, why don't they tell you that first day of university? You know how much they health would be so like much. improved be, if they just gave us like some honest information. Like, if you stay up all night to learn something, you're not gonna learn shit. It's, it's so. I mean, like, we know we can go down the rabbit hole of university, but it's so incredibly outdated. Like, I don't even know where to start. We live on a campus, and it's like during finals week, the libraries open all night. They deliver hot, fresh cookies. It's so <laughs> weird. I mean, like they deliver pizzas and hot, fresh cookies, and it's like this rite of passage. Like, how can we learn the worst possible way to do, you know, it's amazing that humans are as resilient as we are under the circumstances. And it actually, I, I, I often am incredibly just wondrous at how amazing we are to do what we do on either on so little sleep. I mean, it's amazing that kids pass tests at all. I agree. I'm amazed that I passed many tests that I've had no business passing. And, yeah. um, imagine if we, imagine if we, if they did teach, like if they did teach learning to learn as there's a, there's a, a class called college success. I have no idea what they teach in that class. Hopefully they teach meta learning and sleep. Yeah, exactly. So experiments for less than 1.4, um, couple of reflections. So number one, uh, ask yourself, how do you learn best? What medium do you learn best in what environment, what topic, what time of day? And in order to answer that question, you have to do some exploring. So maybe you write that down. If you don't know, you write down, okay, well, I'm going to explore different learning mediums. I'm going to read. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to do something. Um, I'm going to embody something like do it through movement. And you know, which one do I find most captivating and most enjoyable? Um, different learning environments, you know, just experiment and take notes. 
Um, another one is like, what's your current learning capacity? How long can you focus on learning something for before your mind starts to wander? And so I think knowing those, getting a baseline of like, how much time can I read for and be fully immersed in what I'm reading? And, you know, can I be honest with myself to admit when I'm no longer actually integrating what I'm reading, I'm just literally going through the motion of spelling out words in my brain. So I think, you know, even just that exercise is valuable from a self-awareness perspective. Um, beam play, beam play is a good one to determine like how long can you focus for? Can you stand on a beam for 10 minutes without getting distracted or without falling off too many times? That's a good uh, kind of little baseline test. Uh, what do you want to learn about? Write down five things you want to learn about. They can be health-related or non-health-related, but just like know what you authentically want to learn about. Uh, connect with your learning partners, share some insights about how you learn best and sort of hear how they learn best and what they're learning in their experiments of understanding how they learn best. Um, and then keep track. A good one too is to keep track of obstacles that get in the way of learning. You know, like even if you're doing some learning and then you get interrupted or you get distracted, what distracted you? What, what internal state were you in that made you get distracted? Were you busy thinking about something that you hadn't resolved that you thought was urgent? Um, you know, like not only the fact that you got distracted, but what distracted you? Cause that often can give you a hint of like an unsolved problem or thing that you have to deal with in order for it to clear from your mind and give you some bandwidth to focus on whatever you want to learn. So those are some experiments and we look forward to hearing everyone's experiment suggestions so that we can constantly add to this. Um, Ruth, Bob, anything to say before we close this one out? Play, have fun, learn. Yes. Deeply. Play with the process of learning. Do how the learn. neck, do oh. the neck, Nick, do the neck, do the neck. Look at that. That's so cool. <laughs> it's not that amazing. I don't know. I don't, people are probably like, what are they talking about? No, they're not. They're enjoying it too. Hundreds. Thanks for tuning in, nerds. You are yep. the best. It's so you cool are. knowing that we have a family of people who are interested in, in things like learning how to learn or just, I think just committing to taking responsibility for our health at an individual level is literally the best thing we can do to live in a better world. Like if yep. we take care of ourselves, we become better able to contribute. We could become uh, like kinder and I don't know, the more you understand your own biases and, and things that your brain does, the more I think compassionate you are to seeing that in others and understanding that like, they're just doing the best they can with what they've got. Um, and it's definitely made me, you know, a lot more level-headed and, and, and also less hard on myself. When I know my biases, when I know, when I get distracted, I don't beat myself up over getting distracted. I look at it through curiosity instead of like, um, yeah, just, I'm, I'm just, I think being curious about your own capacities instead of like feeling shitty that you don't have an immense learning potential is the, is the mindset, right? Just be curious. And the more understanding you're getting of yourself, um, the better you're doing like that is progress, right? Noticing your limitations is progress versus just being stuck with those limitations. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Thanks for being here. Yep. Listening to this is proof of work. And, uh, we hope that you have some fruitful discussions with your learning partners and your pod mates and ciao for now. Ciao for now.